Welcome to Fresno's Best Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. We've had a little bit of reprieve a few weeks off after the end of the school year for me to give me a little break, but we're back. And today we have on the show City Councilman Nelson Esparza. Councilman Esparza represents District 7 in Fresno. Born and raised in the Central Valley, Nelson did his education in Southern California at UC Riverside and UCLA before returning to the Valley to make a difference on city council. We have a lot to talk about in this podcast, and if you enjoyed my podcast with Councilman Tyler Maxwell, you will also enjoy this episode. Please enjoy my conversation with Nelson Esparza, and Baker will take us there. To elevate guests, politics, religion, culture, art, music, show some respect to the best little city left in the U.S. Fresno's best. Fresno's best. So, uh, Nelson, where do you like to eat in Fresno? Oh, man, uh, I've got a long list of, of spots, but I'll tell you that, you know, right now in the midst of the pandemic, um, I think we're all looking for a lot of different, you know, outdoor type opportunities. And so Fresno Street Eats, right, and, and the food trucks that they bring around town uh, that they partner with. That has, uh, it's been one of my favorite spots, right? In terms of Fresno Street Eats tonight, I mean, that's where I'm headed. Uh, it's Taco Tuesday, uh, so they've, uh, they're set up in a couple spots uh, throughout the city, um, uh, but I, I, I really enjoy, I mean, Fresno Street Eats for one, but in terms of brick and mortar, really looking forward to getting back into, uh, you know, restaurants once it's a little more uh, safe. Uh, I dine all over the city. Um, El Premio Mayor is one of my favorite spots. They actually have a truck that partners with Fresno Street Eats at these different setups, and then they have two brick and mortars in my district. Um, over at uh, First and McKinley, and also at Shields and Roa. Uh, so, uh, j- j- just to you know, I think you were looking for one kind of specific spot, um, and th- that that's the one I'll give you. <laughs> so, how do you compare uh, LA tacos versus Fresno tacos? What's your kind of because I know they're different worlds, right? Like when I moved from San Francisco to LA, I was disappointed in the burrito department, and that's because San Francisco you know, really invented the burrito in, in its strongest uh, shape and form. You know, El Farlito up there is, is like the king. Um, but where are you at in terms of LA versus Fresno in terms of Mexican food? I see. Yeah. So one, one difference I did uh, kind of recognize is that uh, Fresno had a, a little bit of a lag in our proliferation of queso tacos. Uh, uh, yeah, so I think LA, you know, I, those were definitely a little more common out there. And now we're seeing a lot of different taco spots in Fresno serve those. Uh, and I, I like it. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like the birria thing. The birria thing's coming too. And you know, it's, I don't know when I lived down there, like I had, there was some places that I would go, but I feel like, I feel like I, there's more consistency here. I feel like I can get more solid things, but like you were saying, you can be in certain parts of LA. I mean, if you're in Westwood, I mean, ain't no good tacos out there. <laughs> there's plenty of, there's plenty of, you know, uh, uh, other arugula salads or whatever, but not a lot of good tacos. Just like the stuff that like, uh, you know, I don't know. I just, when I think of Westwoods or West, not Westwoods, that's a barbecue place. I think of Westwood. Um, I think of just like light skinny food, like salads and stuff like that. Um, like, you know, if I'm on a romantic evening i'm not about to like pound through three case of tacos because the evening's going to end in a different room in the house and so i i feel that you know so <laughs> like i'm not about to uh plow through 559 uh bunch of tijuana tacos and case of tacos <laughs> depends on the night right you know what i'm saying um yeah. so anyway um uh, yeah, I, I hear you, but 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 the, the tacos may be the way to your heart. So you, you know you might. That's true. It's all about optimality. <laughs> I, you're not wrong. So I um. There are some some food items I miss about LA, but I what I do think is true, is that Fresno has an underrated food scene. In that, when the barrier to entry for a restaurant opening, and we're going to talk about economics in a second. But I remember when I read Peter Thiel's book about uh, zero to one, 
where he talked about how hard it is in the restaurant in- industry to like exist basically. Sure. And it's true that like in a high stakes environment like Los Angeles, you know, you're going to get great food, but uh, for the actual people running the restaurant, like the stress is so high because the rent is so high, the clientele, you have crazy competition. And I think Fresno has the ability where, you know, you can have a family, uh, you can have a family um, restaurant that doesn't have to deal with that stress, you know? Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I tell you what, I, I enjoy the food scene here, uh, whether it's food trucks or brick and mortar. Um, and I've done, you know, my own personal uh, mission right throughout uh, the pandemic, just, you know, trying to support as many local restaurants as possible. And, and, uh, you know, food is one of the, the, the things that, uh, did not change, right. I was able to sort of enjoy that. And that was a kind of a consistent, uh, uh, uh thing, uh, throughout, right. That didn't change for us. So, um, you know, brings people together and, 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 you know, that's sort of, um, the place it, the, you know, the role it played uh, for us and my family in the pandemic yeah. is that uh, consistency. Well, I have to say, um, you're the first economics professor that I've had on. Um, and I, you know, for me, economics is one of those languages that I feel like everyone needs to understand and really, in order to really understand the world that exists today. Maybe not if you were like, you know, maybe if you were a medieval knight or like living in a different time, you might not need to understand kind of supply and demand in the same way. Uh, but today, I think in order to function in the world, uh, there's some basic economic concepts that you need to understand. Now, some of them are changing, right? Like if we think about the concept that every person is a rational consumer, that's kind of gone out the door, right? Um, there, there's, there's others, though, that, that stick with us. For me, the biggest one that I wish people understood, and I'm gonna give you a chance to share a few of your favorites. I wish everyone understood opportunity cost at a, at a deep level. Because for me, every day I'm thinking about opportunity cost in almost everything I do. And it's a concept and a way to formulate it that I think is one of those helpful concepts that can change the way people look at the world. So if you were giving your pitch to adults that hadn't been to college in a long time, and you wanted them to walk away understanding one or two economic concepts that could really help them in their daily lives, what would those be? Yeah, this is, I mean, you bring up a great point. And in my courses, I actually, uh, with respect to every concept, uh, I teach uh, microeconomics. And so at every corner, there's an opportunity to bring it down to the, the, the individual level. Um, you know, economics is a social science, right? A lot of folks think of it in terms of, uh, these numbers and the math, uh, but at the heart of economics is people. It's it's us, you know. And all the lessons we teach uh, in the classroom, they would be different if we behave differently, right? So it's all it all revolves around our behavior. Um, and so I'll, I'll one up you on on in terms of sort of how how broad I'm looking at it and uh, the concepts. I mean, economics is all about optimality. I know I said that word a little a little earlier, um, and so every concept that we go through in, in, in the, the course touches on optimality. What I mean by that is just sort of, you know, what, what is your desired outcome? And, and if folks can uh, understood uh, that uh, if they sort of start backwards looking at their outcome and, uh, and move accordingly, uh, they could, you know, find the path uh, to get there, to get to where, where they want to be. Um, and so it might involve a little bit of this, a little bit of that, it might involve a lot of this, a lot of that um, in terms of where you spend your time, where you spend your resources, whether it's at the individual level, whether it's at the government level. Um, optimality is, uh, is a concept I would, I drive home for, for everybody uh, because it applies at every level. Um, and uh, you got to sort of find that perfect formula uh, <laughs> to get where uh, you want to be. Yeah, microeconomics, I feel like is is the course that I would encourage people to take, you know, if you're a freshman in college. I mean, macroeconomics is great, but, you know, <laughs> the GDP is not going to play out in your personal life all that much, right? Um, you're not going to be thinking about uh, macroeconomic trends uh, all that much, uh, but you are going to be thinking about decision making, right? And that's one of the things uh, that I think would, would, I mean, really is one of the tools of success if you can understand and think through these decisions and why things are happening the way they are. Are there certain things that 
uh, people walk into an economics classroom misunderstanding that they see in economics now why they're misunderstanding it? You know what I'm talking about? You read my mind. That, that's exactly where I was going with this. Is you know, I always tell folks that economics is really just this common sense with these very sort of large words attached <laughs> attached to it. Um, but there are uh, there are quite a few, right? You know, folks really don't truly understand the meaning of "don't cry over spilled milk," right? Until they come into uh, the classroom and I teach them about uh, sunk costs um, and and uh, and how that concept applies to them to their lives personally. Yeah, right. let's talk about loss aversion for a little bit. So like what, you know, that's one of those ones that I wish people understood more because I've, I've had those moments. I've been pissed at Caesars and, you know, I'm just like, all right, here's another 20. And if like, you're irrational. you're irrational. So make your case for, for uh, some costs. Make your case <laughs> that we should walk away from that damn table at Caesars. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so again, so when we talk about optimality, I mean, it's not about stopping while you're ahead. It's about stopping while you're as ahead as you're ever going to be, right? In general, speaking about optimality. When we talk about uh, uh, sunk uh, costs, you know, what that means, uh, that means that, you know, once something is expended and there's no bringing it back, it is, it's not rational to take it into account going forward. I mean, you need to do what's best uh, for you, uh, regardless of what has happened in the past. Uh, so, and that applies to folks at so many different levels, right? Um, it, it, you know, on a, on a practical financial level, um, I asked my students what they would do if they, <laughs> if they bought a, an iPhone at the Apple store, uh, but then they, they walked outside, dropped it and shattered it. <laughs> and you know, the responses I get are uh, all over the place, right? But the fact is that phone is gone. It, it, it no longer exists, you know, uh, regardless of the money you spent on it. So going forward, do you want an iPhone and can you afford an iPhone? Um, if the answer is yes, you walk right back in, you buy another. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's a bit of an extreme example. Um, but even on a, on a personal level, right? I mean, you know, uh, folks might, you know, have a, uh, someone in their life, right? And uh, they've invested a lot of time uh, into that uh, either friendship or relationship or whatever it is. Um, and for some reason, whatever it might be, it's not working anymore. It's no longer um, this positive uh, thing in your life. But folks feel like they've invested so much time and effort into it over years, um, you know. And so, it, economics, the sunk cost, right, would tell us, hey, uh, that that time is is sunk. There's no getting it back. And uh, going forward, what's the best thing for you? What 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 is going to be the most optimal outcome? What's the, that decision you got to make? Um, so. Um, it's a hard one. I mean, it's yeah, just because it's just such like a, there's a loud motorcycle. Um, it's just such like a human nature thing. And, you know, there's a great movie called The Money Pit. And it's about a couple that buys like a duplex and like there's a monster or maybe it's called duplex. But anyway, there's two movies. Uh, there's duplex and money pit, but they're both about the same thing, which is this couple buys a house and the house is a nightmare and they keep putting money into it, money into it, and they can't let it go. And I, I wonder, to abstract this out for a second, if there's certain things at, you know, the city level where that, uh, <laughs> that fallacy takes place. <laughs> Have you seen sunk costs play out in city government before? <laughs> <laughs> you got government in general, uh, you know, city government. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, let me see if I can think of an example here. Uh, oh, boy. Oh man. I think uh, Caltrans is pretty good at sunk costs, right? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's just, I, it, you can look anywhere. I mean, it, for me in education, there's, there's costs all the time. And it's like you, you pay, you buy into some uh, curriculum program and then, you know, it, it's not working, but you paid a hundred thousand dollars for it. So let's keep teaching it for 10 years. You know what I mean? Like, and you have this, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it doesn't have to be city government. It's it it in every industry we're always it's hard to let go of projects. You know, it's hard to let go of projects um, because you know one we think that well maybe this is just the kind of painful uh, initial growing pains. 
you know, or, or it's, uh, you know, there's just resistance and people just need to try harder, you know, and it, it, it's, it's tempting. So there's all these kind of rationalizations that I feel like we can make. Yeah. But I mean, you're right. We're, we're complicated beings. I mean, being human, right. We experience a lot of emotions and, and that, that often gets, uh, gets in our way of rational thinking. Right. So it's funny that you mentioned that, you know, the rational thinking is almost out the window, but I mean, hey, it's just, it's just part of being human. Right. And I feel like right. anybody who, you know, takes a microeconomics course, I mean, you're still going to be human, but you might, uh, you might walk away with a, kind of a better sense you know, of, okay, you know, I, I, I am capable of making more rational decisions. <laughs> right. Well, and I, I, I heard the famous Daniel Kahneman, who's kind of the guy that invented all these concepts of biases and stuff that we have. And he was asked in an interview if he thought that that made him any more of a rational decision maker. And he said, no, well, I'm still a human. Um, but it, what it does is it, it, it helps you see more clearly after the fact of what was happening there. And I, you know, I don't, I, I think that's kind of BS a little bit. I think we do become slightly better decision makers. If I didn't think we'd become slightly better decision makers, I would stop teaching. I would stop doing most productive things and go off and spend my time at the casino to go back to the casino. Well, in any case, let's talk about uh, something that's very interesting to me, uh, which sure. is liquor stores. Um, liquor stores are fascinating as, as, a, as a species, like an animal. You know, they're a fascinating uh, concept and the, the role that they fit into our society is such an interesting one to me uh, because they kind of seem like arcades for the hungry and the bored. And they've also become these kind of weird community centers for <laughs> bad behavior. <laughs> and it's an interesting, they're interesting concepts. So I guess my question to you is, what is your concern about uh, oversaturation of liquor stores and why should government get involved in this to begin with? Well, it's funny that you ask because uh, in the city of Fresno, uh, the district I represent, district seven actually has the highest saturation of uh, what we call on a technical basis, offsite uh, liquor licenses. Um, so basically where you would purchase and then take it home, right? Like just like a liquor store. Yeah. Um, so we have the highest saturation in my district, so which is central um, and uh, parts of Southeast Fresno as well. Um, so I, at the council level, you know, we, uh, have taken on this issue and passed the responsible neighborhood market ordinance, um, which I think in the long term is going to make a difference in, in capping the number of, uh, liquor licenses and gradually reducing them. Um, but with respect to why, why we needed to take that kind of action, having an oversaturation in any, any part of the city, uh, is not good for the city. Uh, as you, uh, alluded to how you develop a community, how you plan a community, uh, it influences, uh, uh, it does influence behavior, right? And, and sort of the, and el the elements and the community vibe uh, with, within a neighborhood. Uh, and so when you have a liquor store in every corner, or in some cases, literally uh, on the intersection, out of the four corners, three are occupied by a, a liquor store, um, it's gonna have some pretty adverse impacts. Uh, in, in terms of uh, who that attracts and what kind of activity that that uh, attracts. Um, I can tell you that I, I can't speak for the previous councils over the decades that have approved these, uh, just sort of one after another, and that's how we got to where we are. Uh, but as we move into cannabis, we're not going to make that same mistake, right? It's way much more highly regulated, um, way more more limited. Um, so uh, as, as, we, as we get sort of a second chance <laughs> with this other controlled substance, um, and it's now legal uh, on a recreational basis. Uh, we're not going to make those those uh, repeat those same um, same mistakes. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know the 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 people who communicate the issue with the liquor stores most effectively to me are the the neighbors, right? That <laughs> that live within a community. I hold these these town halls or these community meetings in a specific neighborhood, and uh, and they have uh, a long list of very legitimate grievances. Um, uh, about the again the type of activity that uh, tends to surround um, a liquor store, or in many cases when there's you know more than one within the general uh, vicinity. Yeah, it seems like it's something that could just be concentrated to grocery stores or something, where it's kind of more of a contained environment. Uh, I don't I don't know. So, what is is the process right now for uh, 
getting a liquor license if you're an offsite is it's it's getting more challenging. We we we've we've certainly made it more challenging by passing the responsible neighborhood market ordinance. Um, it, it, I mean, we've uh, the the purpose of that of that legislation uh, it's pretty long, but uh, again, we're capping the number, and uh, as new uh, developments come into play and there are requests for uh, new liquor licenses they have to uh, buy out uh, existing ones so that 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 they are able to operate um, and and is it a pretty before, profitable business for these owners i you know i i can't speak for the industry because i'm i'm not in it but i right. i do know a, a lot of these folks on a personal basis um and uh you know they're 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 humble folks i mean the family is just like mine um right and so yeah it seems like they're, they're just there to make a living and, and that's that's part of the issue right in terms of uh uh taking a look at okay well we've determined that this type of establishment is is a problem in, in our district or in the city i mean these are folks livelihoods that we're talking about yeah and, and so, the east coast we call them bodegas right you know like there's right. and they're and they and they serve different functions that was kind of what i was asking in some ways the question because I mean, we call them liquor stores, but for a lot of people, you know, they're, they're kind of like hubs, you know, or like, or like places, you know, I, I don't know for, for people with not much to do in the day. Right. And I, I understand that there's a negative element. I'm just, I'm thinking about, you know, these other kind of, uh, stakeholders, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm saying stakeholder with a liquor store is maybe the right word, but you know, like I, there's, they, they serve some function, I think beyond just purveying liquor. And, 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 and what, again, your, your key word, right. Is the oversaturation is an issue. Okay. Uh, is, there, is there, is there a place for it? Sure. There, 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 there's a place for uh, convenience stores right throughout the city. Yeah. Um, but again, when you, when you've built up the sat- level of saturation that we have uh, can be very, very uh, unhealthy. Um, and you know, to be fair, right. You know, some establishments are, are, uh, have far more of an impact than others, right. Depending on the effort and resources they put into, um, the, the surrounding neighborhood and their property and such. Right. So right. it depends. And <clears throat> what I'll, I'll tell you as well is that, I mean, we're here, we're talking about, I mean, sort of planning at large in these, these developments with adverse impacts. And I'm not, I'm not just going to pick on, on liquor stores. I mean, uh, the, uh, the payday uh, lenders, you know, they need to go uh, title mm-hmm. loans, all that crap. I mean, it's so, it's so toxic and you know, it's so, you know, it's such a prey a industry that preys, you know, on people. And I, I don't, I don't How do you regulate those? Yeah. So, so I mean, so the liquor stores, the payday lenders, the dollar stores, um, you know, in my district, you know, just the, the sheer nature of the geography, we have three freeways that cut through our, my district, the 41, the 99 and the 168, uh, the canals, the railroads that cut through as well. So, I mean, the sheer geography of, of our district, uh, you know, presents uh, a variety of, I mean, of different challenges for the neighborhood. Um, and a lot of it is so built in and structural, you know, and based on decisions that were made over decades. Um, but I, I really see my job kind of in three, three different layers. <clears throat> so one is sort of playing goalie, right, with respect to more of that trying to creep in, right? I mean, I can't tell you how many liquor stores I've opposed <laughs> in, my, in my two years so far. Uh, the next level is sort of, okay, we've, we've sort of prevented the flow from continuing. You know, how can, what can we do to kind of peel back uh, some of the, these negative components that have, that have uh, really uh, grown roots within our community? And then uh, the third layer, right, my favorite is really just being uh, proactive and, and, you know, looking for new um, opportunities for progress for not only my district, but the city at large, right? Uh, being proactive on, on public policy. Um, but I will tell you that uh, on a daily basis, numbers one and two, you know, are throwing themselves at me <laughs> nonstop 80% of the day. And I have to carve out that time to, um, to uh, be intentional about, uh, about legislating, you know, policy that's, that's going to uh, advance the city. Um, so I think I might've got a little off tangent there, but that's, no, no. Well, and I think connected. it's, I think it's important. And I think, you know, I think there's this myth out there that like cities, you know, create themselves or something. There's always someone that's kind of managing the development of a city and, you know, we can manage it for profit margins. We can manage it for, you know, livability. We can manage it for walkability. We can manage it for cars. We can manage it for all these different things and set the direction. 
And so I, I think that myth that, you know, cities should just develop according to their own, however they develop is just, I mean, some cities have done that and it's not worked out very well. <laughs> you that, know, if that, you just let whoever move we, in. That is why we have the, the municipal code and the, uh, and the general plan. <laughs> you got to be intentional about it. You have to be. Yes. So uh, we're going to go to a section that I call overrated versus underrated, where I throw out some things to you. Uh, you can say overrated or underrated and why, or you can pass, or you can even say properly rated. You know, they're just, they're, you know, they're just a concept that's out there. It exists. You don't want to comment. It's what it is. Uh, we'll start with an easy one. Uh, overrated versus underrated. Living in Westwood. <laughs> You know, I, I lived in Westwood as actually a graduate student for one year. And so from the perspective of a grad student, definitely overrated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, there's, there's probably, what's the most overrated? I mean, is it, is it, is it the it, rent you're paying? Is it parking? Is it, I mean, because the weather must be, you know, the weather's nice. You have to give it to the weather. The, the, the weather's great. It's just about, and again, that's from the unique perspective of being a graduate student, right? To me, Westwood is definitely the, uh, the experience for the undergrads at UCLA. Um, and so um, I, I lived with uh, some friends who were my age who were still um, undergraduates at that time. And so, um, you know, it, it, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was, it, it was, it was fine for the experience, but uh, I made my way over to Brentwood for my second year of graduate school. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, how do you feel? I mean, you must have been ecstatic this past few months with uh, how the Bruins did. That, that was wild. And I mean, I think everyone just sort of uh, was stunned at the very, 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 very end of that game. Gonzaga. Uh, that was uh, heartbreaking, to say the least. I mean, we were, you know, we were jumping out of our seats uh, and just stunned. But I mean, a hell of a run. I mean, a hell of yeah, a run. Yeah, I mean, to, to play your way into the tournament and then go that far. I mean, yeah. come on. Come on, it's yeah. not, not much better than that. Um, all right, next one. Uh, overrated or underrated? Me and Ed's Pizza. <sighs> Properly rated. Properly rated? Okay. Properly rated, yeah. yeah. I, 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 have, uh, I have other spots that I prefer in the city in terms of pizza. Um, but uh, do I ever say no to me and Ed's? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just like, do you say no to water? Um, so next one, uh, and this one's an interesting one. Um, uh, and it's we can kind of uh, maybe overrated versus underrated is the is a poor uh, framing, but uh, local control of schools. Oh, uh, with respect to like LCFF and such. Oh. You know, I mean, a lot of people were really confused uh, during the pandemic. They're like, wait a second, the school board's actually in charge. <laughs> they can actually say that the kids can't come back. <laughs> so there's been this kind of like, uh, you know you know, like Paul, the scales away from the eyes uh, kind of moment where people have realized the effects of having local control of their school system. Um, and, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, th th this one, I'm going to have to say probably uh, underrated, right? Because as local legislative bodies, whether it's the council uh, or the board of supervisors at the county level or the, the school district, I mean, there, uh, there is a great deal of, uh, of control that is uh, within, you know, within their hands, right? That is not dictated by the state or the federal government. Yeah. Um, I mean, it seems like an interesting one. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, you, you have a lot of vantage points to look at it. You know, obviously, if you have state level control of education, you know, the opportunity cost there, right, is that you have less, you can have, you can be less flexible. Uh, but if you have more local control, then you get weird stuff when you have school boards taken over by business interests. And so you just have these like weird uh, interests that can get embedded in these systems. And so it's, it's kind of the, which, which devil do you want or whatever that phrase is? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a trade-off I, I think is the, is, but is you the err way. on the side of local control versus a more kind of, you know, a top-down control of education. I mean, just, you know, off the top of my head here, chatting with you, right? I mean, I, I have in the past uh, been very interested and in, in delved in a great deal into education policy. Um, but, um, I mean, I'm, I'm going to stick with, the, with the, the underrated here. I mean, not, not, 
again, it's all about optimality, right? I mean, there's, there's those trade-offs and how do you sort of uh, calibrate that state level policy um, so that you produce the greatest results across, you know, across all the different thousand plus districts in the, in California, yeah. um, including yeah. the third largest, which is, is Fresno Unified. <laughs> right. No, no, you know. no, uh, no simple task to, to govern and uh, uh, that our, our district. So um, I'm going to stick with the, the underrated and maybe I'll come back on, uh, in a year and I'll change my mind. Uh, <laughs> that's fine. But, you know, I mean, we all grow and change our belief systems, you know, um, I, you know, I've, I've at points been frustrated with it and at points been grateful for it. And I think, you know, I think it's just nuanced and just depends on the situation. Uh, next one, uh, is kind of a nerdy one, uh, public private partnerships. You know what? For me, I'm going to have to say uh, overrated, uh, okay. and, and that's and that comes from my belief of uh, you know we yeah it's great to have private partners who want to chip in and who want to uh, be helpful and help something work more effectively, um, but to me that onus is on government. <laughs> uh, you know we at the end of the day the buck stops with your your leaders, um, and you've got to figure out how how to make it work. Um, so, you know, yeah, we welcome them and sort of the, uh, under the appropriate circumstances. Um, but you know, it's my belief that government should just, you know, deliver what it's supposed to. Okay. All right. Here's a fun one. Uh, picking up trash as a way to improve a city. <laughs> uh, this one is probably, uh, properly, uh, properly rated. Okay. Um, you know, you know, ha- have I gone out there and picked up trash? Absolutely. Uh, for you know a few hours at a time uh, i've seen some of my colleagues and the mayor do it as well um, but if we spent uh again going back to opportunity costs if we spent uh, seven days a week picking up trash uh you would see the whole city crumble <laughs> yeah. if, we, if we did nothing but you know <laughs> pick up trash there are uh a million uh, no exaggeration a million other um issues that require our attention on any given day you know, when, when you asked me the question, I was thinking of it more in terms of like these beautified Fresno events that we're doing right now and, and how we as leaders are, are out there. And, not, and obviously not the first time we've gone out to pick up trash, but that's what I, I was thinking about it as all, us on our personal, uh, personal time. Oh, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But, well, but anyway. I mean, I, I, you know, in the greater context of uh, just government services, um, yeah, I mean, it, it has its place, you know, um, in terms of budget allocation. But are, are we going to blow the whole budget? Uh, 1.2 billion on, on on picking up trash. I mean, again, the rest of the city would fall apart. Um, So it's all about optimality, right? We're going to spend some on picking up trash. We're going to spend some on public safety and spend some on parks, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you gotta, gotta find the sweet spot. And, uh, uh, and again, we, we, we govern according to resident input and the values uh, of the people in our city. Yeah. You know, I, I just interviewed Mark Standriff, so I'm, I'm definitely a big fan of Beautify Fresno. I'm more just poking fun at the idea because I, I want to, I, I, you know, for, it's, picking up trash is great. I, I want big issues tackled too because there's big issues in Fresno, right? There's big right. issues that uh, the city needs to address that, you know, we need to, we need to really, and that are not going to be fun. I mean, some people are going to be upset with them, right? And those big changes are, you know, they're, they're necessary and they're hard and they're not going to be things that are going to be something you're excited to post on Instagram. If that <laughs> so, well, yeah, change, change, change can be uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. is kind of the bottom line there. And so, uh, yeah, you see that, you see these controversies when, uh, when some big piece of legislation comes up and we're debating it. Um, and, uh, you know, I think most of the time, hope the council hopefully is making the right decision. Um, sometimes it's evident right away. Sometimes it takes uh, years for it to become evident. Um, but we do the best we can with the information at hand. Um, yeah. So let's talk about infrastructure in uh, your district. Um, so I know that you've got some infrastructure projects that you have on your brain or are working on. Um, so, you know, uh, this is something that's happening nationwide, you know, with Biden pushing his infrastructure project. So can you talk a little bit about uh, what what some of those projects are and why they're important. Yeah, absolutely. So um, with respect to what's happening at the federal level and the bill that's being pushed, I mean, we're having this debate right now about, you know, how do we even define infrastructure? 
Mm -hmm. um, are we going to define it, you know, just very narrowly? Is it just roads and bridges um, and your sidewalks? <laughs> uh, and, you know, Fresno, right? If, if we are just defining it uh, that way, we have $800 million in deferred maintenance unfunded on, on our roads, uh, sidewalks, curbs, and gutters. Um, so great need, great deal of need, um, uh, especially within my district. My district is uh, one of the older parts of the city. Uh, we have uh, uh, a great need in terms of uh, that, that deferred maintenance, a lot of dilapidated uh, uh, infrastructure and dilapidated structures in general. Um, so, but I, I, I like to think of infrastructure as uh, in a bit of a broader, like broader context, right? I'm gonna err on that side. Um, so it's, it's not just the brick and mortar, uh, but it's also, you know, access to broadband, right? I mean, all the, all the different components um, encompassed within the federal bill right now that, that set the stage for people to thrive within a community. Um, yeah. and for again, utilities too, kind of. Utilities would be under that kind of umbrella. I, I, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, in, in terms of infrastructure, yeah, I, I think it doesn't, it's not just above ground, it's underground utilities. <laughs> I mean, it, it all counts as infrastructure. I mean, the, the schools that we're building, right. The, the iPads we're giving out to students. I mean, uh, I mean, all of that, right. From a holistic perspective, I mean, it is required. Um, and so when it comes to infrastructure in, in district seven, I mean, great, great need from uh, whether you're talking about it in a, in a narrow sense or a very uh, broad context. Um, when you when you think about infrastructure, um, does the does Fresno County, how, what is their relationship to like, you know, if you're fixing a road, right? And it's within the city limits of Fresno, but I, it, but it's part of Fresno County. What is that relationship there? Or is there is there is one? Is it just the city that's on, on the job? Yeah, so you know we have uh, a you know tax sharing agreement with different properties. So, I mean, you pay taxes, and a certain portion goes to city. Certain portion, a uh, certain portion goes to county. Um, I don't think any of the county's portion goes to uh, city-funded uh, roads. Um, so that I mean, there there's not, and and I mean there. I think there are opportunities uh, to partner with the county. Um, I just think that. You know, we the 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 bodies, right? The council and the board of soups have uh, uh, just sort of different visions and such, right? And 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 they've got you know their unincorporated communities they have to uh, look out for as well. So um, you know, there are certain areas, right, across the board where we wish we had more cooperation with the county and we saw more eye to eye. Um, but with respect to the roads, I mean, just in, within city limits, that's that those are city dollars uh, right. and or state or federal dollars that are coming down i mean the county's probably thinking of like big ag interest too or whatever you know i understand that there's different constituencies <laughs> involved well, i gotta it, make it, sure those semi trucks go through and, and that, that's the tough part right is i mean you think of fresno county and you know hey the city is is half, half you know literally half of the population right and so um you know on, on like these tax sharing agreements we we want them to chip in more um uh, and give a kind of a greater share to the city since we we you know, have half the population of the county within the limits. Um, but hey, yeah, that's it's very political and such, and uh, we have to work it out uh, as objectively as possible. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, the skills um, of being a city council member. Um, so. I'm sure there were some skills that you didn't anticipate you would need uh, before you uh, took the job. What are those skills that maybe you didn't, maybe, maybe you knew they were there, but didn't know how they were important were important that they were to be successful uh, in your job that you have now? Yeah. Well, to be honest, I mean, there isn't a, uh, a great deal that has been uh, a real surprise. I mean, this, it, it is, you know, notwithstanding the pandemic, <laughs> uh, there, you know, it's, it's, it's what I expected. Um, you know, I, I did serve in elected office uh, prior to coming to the council, uh, represented uh, my community on the county school board. Um, so, you know, I, I had a pretty good idea of what I was uh, coming into. I, I, I'd say uh, one misconception is that folks think of, uh, 
politicians or public officials as these sort of great orators um, and that they have a whole lot to say. And, and certainly we all know, you know, those, uh, we all do know those folks, right? All the way from local to, to DC, we know who those folks are. Um, but hey, you know, listening is certainly this underrated uh, <laughs> skill uh, mm -hmm. that I think uh, more of these public officials ought to, uh, ought to be exercising. Um, you know, I, I try to do a whole lot more listening than I do uh, talking. Um, and I feel like that's, you know, I, I've been successful, you know, in, in doing that, just listening to folks, uh, taking it all in. And ultimately, that's what we're here. We're here to represent folks. And you can't, um, you can't take that input if, if, you, <laughs> if, you're, uh, if you're the one always, uh, who's always talking. Yeah, it seems like there's, a, you know, there's a point system for talking. Uh, the listening, <laughs> the listening component, there's, there's less of a point system. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's something to be said for using a position of power to, uh, you know, call something into question, uh, to advocate for, you know, uh, a demographic or community that doesn't have a voice. Like there's definitely something for that, but I, I, I don't think you're going to say very good things unless you're listening. You're going to say things that are just about you at that point. Right. And I, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it can, it can be hard. I mean, cause we just had a president for a long time uh, who did a lot of talking. Um, we got to hear a lot of his words um, and, you know, it's been refreshing to have some quiet, you know, and I, I, I think that, and it's, it's funny too, cause Biden always has been known as the blowhard, you know, but it's, but it's been so quiet, you know, it's been so quiet these days. And then, and I hope that that is in the listening department that those things are happening. But, um, and, and, yeah. and the listening department isn't, you know, quite frankly, isn't one of those sexy political things. Right. Um, and so, uh, that's, that's why I put it in the underrated category. Um, yeah. but, uh, I, I have to agree with you. Yeah. Um, let's close by talking about, uh, books. Um, so these can be of any variety, you know, anywhere from an economics textbook to a vampire novel. It's really up to your discretion. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I like to end with books because I, you know, I know a lot of people that listen to a lot of podcasts and I actually, I actually told this to someone recently because I make quite a few podcasts. Uh, but I don't really listen to a ton myself. I actually listen to a ton of audiobooks. Um, for me, like if, uh, you know, I, if I want to get the most value, like I go to a book ultimately and podcasts will push me to books, which I really appreciate. And so that's what I'm trying to do in this is, and you know, keep listening to my podcast, no doubt, but, uh, pick up a book because you'll get a lot more out of a book than listening to me. Sure. Uh, well, one audio book I'm actually, uh, into right now is, uh, Obama's memoir, the promised land. Uh, I'm doing the same thing. I do it before I go to bed. I listen to it in bed and it's just like Obama, like whispering in my ear while I'm sleeping. It's like this kind of like, it's a little quasi like little, little romantic, like little time with Obama before I go to sleep. And I feel like my dreams have been better. I feel, I really do believe it. I, every morning I tell my wife, I'm like, I, you know, going to bed with Obama makes your dreams better. <laughs> I like that. So the, 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 uh, the former president is sort of narrating your dreams and, and, yes, and guiding them in a, a better place. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, 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 I'm, re I'm really enjoying it. Just sort of from a, a, a leadership perspective, uh, listening to his journey uh, narrated by him. Um, I, I'm really enjoying it. So I, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to getting through this one. And I think there's a, a second installment coming, I, I believe yes. as well. I um, am. I'm actually listening. I'm a little nuts, but I'm listening to, uh, Samantha Power's book while Power Power while I'm listening to Obama's book, so I listen to her book during the day, and it's weird to see kind of her perspective on you know being at the UN and everything that's going on, and then listening to Obama's voice because when <laughs> she talks about Obama, she's like he's like this you know like he's funny but he's also can be terrifying, okay. which is like I mean you're a commander in chief like you know you just have that kind of like gusto like that power and like uh it's it's interesting to to hear different sides i think we're starting to kind of see what that administration was like and get a sense of it you know hindsight is 2020 right for everybody right just you know for the country for for obama himself uh, so it's it's just great to kind of look back and reflect and especially after all that's happened uh since he left office right i mean 
uh, you've you certainly got uh, got some stuff to compare it to. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm sure you're drawing lessons for yourself in terms of being on the city council from that book and thinking about because you know I uh, he walked in in a, a hot mess. Um, you know, and had to deal with a lot of things. And I just finished the sections about, um, you know, the auto bailout and stuff. And, you know, there's just, <laughs> there's so many challenges in there, but I, 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 it seems like listening to go back to the listening concept, you know, him just letting his uh, subordinates duke it out and him listening and really taking everything in before making decisions. Um, and, you know, it seems like it's something that we're losing this ability to listen. Yeah. So again, underrated, you know, more folks need to listen. Uh, um, you know, and so that's, I mean, that's one thing I'm in the process of doing right now. Um, you are in education. Maybe you've heard of, uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin, uh, team of rivals is, is uh-huh. another one of my favorites. Right. And that's obviously going way back, right. In terms of presidential politics and, and talking about the political genius of Abraham Lincoln. Um, but that, that's just another I wanted to uh, uh, give a shout out to you, right, in, in terms of uh, books. And, that's, uh, a, that's a good concept. I mean, it's such a hard one to, like, want to bring your adversaries with you. I mean, actually, you know, I mean, in some sense, Obama did that by making Hillary secretary of state. Sure. Um, but it's, it's challenging to, I mean, how, just in terms of being on the city council, they don't work for you. But how, do you, how you know, working with people you disagree with, um, how have you managed that? Yeah, sure. I mean, it, it's really just about, uh, you know, doing the best you can uh, try, to try and put the politics aside and be, be objective and look at things objectively. Again, not letting your emotions get in the, uh, the way, right, of that decision making, because ultimately, I mean, it's not about me. It's not about whoever is across the table from me. It's about the folks who are behind us, who, who we represent. Um, so, you know, it, you know, folks might think, oh, man, we see that we see this person and that person clash. Uh, pretty publicly and often, um, you know, in most cases, it's actually a fairly decent working relationship, right? Notwithstanding the 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 antics that sort of transpire uh, publicly. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's important to have all those voices at the table, right? And, you know, I, uh, you know, even after like an election, right, I've, I've uh, spoken to and uh, built relationships with, you know, former opponents um, who, uh, you know, we're not successful in, in their runs, but uh, kind of listen to their perspectives and, and you know, t- in some cases, taking their advice uh, because, again, they, they had, uh, you know, an opposing or different perspective, right, that uh, maybe, maybe did not win the day, right, with the electorate, but uh, still had some, uh, some value, right, uh, to help people at the end of the day. Yeah, I think for me, like, if I was thinking about my ideal government, my, and you probably feel this way, too, in your classroom, like, if I had an environment where everyone's beliefs were identical and there was no conflict, I feel like for the end user of whatever product is being created, you know, it's just going to be a deficient thing. And, you know, I think, you know, our, our kind of conflict avoidance can hinder outcomes for a lot of us. And conflict in many ways can be a very good thing. Uh, because it really stress tests things, right? You need to stress test. Going back to Obama's book, you need to stress test stuff, right? You need to, you need to, you need to hear competing interests and hear competing perspectives uh, on on everything. And ultimately, one side's going to, you know, I mean, one side's going to get more of whatever. But I think without that conflict, there, we're just we're going to get worse outcomes. I, I, I think we just described it was democracy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think we did. I think we did. Well, yeah, so here's to democracy. Um, well, so um, where can people uh, find you on the internet and where can they find out about what's going on? Um, and you, you do, do you do some writing for the Fresno Bee or, or different uh, outlets as well? I've, uh, I've written, I think, an op-ed or two for the, for the Bee. Um, in the past so i mean i'm sure there will be more of those in the, in the future i've not done a ton of it right just okay. just a, a couple um online uh the handle i believe for all my different all the different platforms facebook twitter and instagram is at d7 esparza um so that's that's how you can find us uh, on the social media platform uh we are we do have the city website uh fresno.gov obviously a lot of updates there and uh we're working on a uh uh, an extension of the city website right now, actually, 
um, and building out an, a, a separate uh, but related District 7 website to have to, for it to be all things District 7. Um, so we're building that out right now. Um, but for now, uh, we do provide regular updates um, uh, across Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All uh, right. And, and, and I, you know, just last night I had a, a spring town hall. Um, so I do town halls uh, in the district year round. I do these sort of general ones, uh, sort of all things, you know, I bring all concerns and questions uh, in the spring and the fall. Um, and then throughout the year, just as different uh, issues come up, right? Oh, hey, this development is being proposed. Let's go talk. Let's go to this neighborhood and bring the neighbors from this area together and talk about it. Um, so there's a lot of those smaller ones that do occur throughout the uh, year. But the the sort of, you know, all all District 7 uh, town halls occur in the spring and the fall. So last night we just had one. Um, and uh, that's that's an opportunity folks have to um, come out and just, you know, see me, talk to me. It was virtually, <laughs> obviously. Um, but looking forward to getting uh, back to those in person when the uh, time is right. Yeah. I have one uh, city complaint for you to close, you know, which is, oh, I mean, you know, you're local government, so I got to complain about something. Sure. So downtown, someone painted Bart Simpson's eyeballs on a parking garage and then they were disappeared. They're painted over and I'm so mad. I'm so mad. <laughs> oh, no, what? Where, where was this? I, I missed this. <laughs> it, was, it was the parking garage. Uh, what, what? Well, I mean, I think it's... Uh, it's I that know. big, the big circular parking garage downtown. What is that? Oh, the spiral. Okay. Yeah, the spiral. Someone painted some Bart Simpson eyeballs on it. I, and how did I measure that? I know. But I'm excited. This mural project and the government giving people to do murals. Maybe they'll, maybe the, maybe the whoever did the Bart Simpson, uh, you know, not on city time will come out and do it again. But I was very sad I to see. see it go. Someone, someone documented it. So we have the picture, but. Great. Okay. It's only there a few days. Anyway, I appreciate you coming to talk to me and we'll, we'll keep watching and uh, yeah, let's get some potholes fixed and move forward. Yeah. And, and on, on your end, you know, appreciate you keeping up the dialogue, right? Engaging with uh, not only myself, but just leaders across the, across the board here in Fresno um, and kind of, you know, giving us the opportunity to, to uh, you know, another outlet to communicate with, uh, with the residents that we represent. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening, folks. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Nelson Asparza. If you liked this show, please consider giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That goes a long way to convincing people to push that play button. And if you feel so called, you can support us at our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com slash Fresno's Best. Both of those go a long way to making this podcast sustainable. Until next time.